Well, good morning. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 2. 2 Samuel chapter 2. And it's good to see you. Y'all doing good? All right, very good. Uh, I was uh, up at Snowbird uh, this week, which is a camp that we take our students to. Our our youth uh, head up there in the summer, and our college students go up there uh, for the college retreat each year. And I have the privilege of serving on the board there at Snowbird. Enjoy that. It's a lot of fun. Uh, just a godly group of guys, gospel-centered ministry. And uh, I was sitting there uh, in the board meeting listening to some uh, future plans that involved some recreation ideas for the summer. And I had a flashback to the very first year that I took a group of students, which was from Chandler Drive. I served here as student pastor starting in 2006. And uh, we went to Snowbird, and that was the first year I'd ever gone there. And we took a group of students there. And uh, me and a group of high school guys, we thought it would be good to sign up for the mountain biking wreck one afternoon. All right, what didn't register with us is that it was actual mountain biking, like on real mountains, all right? So you had me and a bunch of these guys, a bunch of uh, Flatlander, Floridian uh, people, you know, trying to uh, handle those mountains, and uh, it was very difficult. I actually went back and did that wreck, you know, years later, you know, every year after that and enjoyed it, but that first year was not very enjoyable, all right? So because it was a a really intense mountain biking trail that was really long. We didn't know how long it was, and it involved some really steep climbs, all right? So there you are, you know, pumping those pedals as hard as you can, climbing an incline, and there were stretches of that trail where you're climbing uphill, and you think you're going to get around a bend and maybe hit a calmer stretch of, like, decline, where you can... uh, you know, ride down and coast down the hill. That's a lot of fun. And but what happened several times on that trail is you're you're you know working as hard as you can. It's brutal, and you turn the corner and there's another uphill stretch. Right? It's like you got to be kidding me. So no lie, like five minutes in, guys are like you know walking their bikes already. A bunch of Florida kids. You know, there's some guys that are losing their lunch. You know, it may or may not have been me that did that. Uh, there's some guys that literally are flying over their handlebars, just not used to that intense kind of course, like onto the path thank goodness not off the side of the mountain i'm like lord please help us get off this mountain alive i pray i don't have to like call a parent back in florida and say we need you to come up here your son fell off a mountain right Uh, but it was uh it was intense but i share that story because i think it's a pretty good metaphor of the way life feels like sometimes and what i mean by that is there's sometimes where life feels messy and stressful it feels like an uphill climb and in your mind you think if i can just get around this bend if i can just get over this hill if i can just get to what i perceive as a finish line man if i could just get over this hill there'll be some calmer waters it'll be smoother sailing only to find when you get to that place and make that turn you enter into a new season that has a new set of messiness often It's, in other words, a fake finish line. A fake finish line. And that's something that David experiences in this part of his story that we're going to look at this morning. And as we open, uh, as we're looking at 2 Samuel uh, right here, we remember that the first 15 years, that's 15, second half of 1 Samuel, the 15 chapters that you see there uh, from the middle of 1 Samuel to the end represent 15 years. So we began in 1 Samuel 16, and here we are in 2 Samuel. 15 years have passed since that moment where Samuel, the prophet, anointed David as to be the next king. 
So for 15 years, think about it, he's been hanging on to that promise. For 15 years, he's walked through some very tumultuous, turbulent times. He's been running for his life, literally, from a murderous king, King Saul. And he spent most of that time just in a lot of chaos and a lot of turbulence. But as we move into 2 Samuel, you know, it feels like things are finally going to settle down. It feels like things are going to calm down. 1 Samuel ends with King Saul's death. And 2 Samuel begins with that news reaching David. And after 15 turbulent turbulent years, it feels like he's finally going to sit down on the throne. He's finally going to begin to coast downhill. But what David discovers is that that is a false, fake finish line. And this part of his story teaches us something about the futility of chasing fake finish lines and the wisdom of learning to endure faithfully through the messy seasons that we often find ourselves living in. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So stand with your Bibles open. I'll begin to read in chapter 2. I'm actually going to begin to read in verse 4. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Now I want you to look down at verse 8. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanim. And he made him king over Gilead. And the Asherites in Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all of Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years, but the house of Judah followed David. Would you have a seat as I pray? God, I pray that through this study this morning, as we're studying our Bibles, as we're studying your word, Lord, that you would help us, that your word would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, we need your help in this world that feels so broken and messy, and even in our lives, Lord, we feel broken, we feel messy, and we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to guide us, even in these moments to teach us, not just for us uh, to understand your word, we need your help in our hearts to believe it, and we need your Help to help us to apply it in our lives, to change, so that we can leave here not chasing fake finish lines, but learning how to endure faithfully in the season that you have sovereignly placed us in. And so we ask for your help, for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right? So this part of David's story, again, I want to repeat, it teaches us something about the futility of chasing fake finish lines and the wisdom of enduring faithfully through messy seasons. So three truths we're going to learn about messy seasons from this part of David's story. Now you may be thinking, all right, I've been here for most of this study and you, we've already talked a lot about messy times in our lives. We've already talked a lot about difficult times that we go through and how to endure faithfully and patiently and in a way that honors God through those times. Do we really need to do this again? Like, this kind of feels like a broken record. Well, this is a part of, uh, this is a time when it's really important to remind ourselves that when God's Word repeats things, it repeats those things for a reason. God's Word has a tendency to repeat things and be really repetitive about things that we need to be repeatedly reminded about. And this is one of those things. Right? And that leads us to the very first truth that we're looking at about messy seasons. First truth that we need to learn from David's story about messy seasons. Here it is. Life's full of them. Life is full of messy seasons. It's part of life. We learn that from David's story. 
Again, when you read chapter 1 and the first few verses of chapter 2, things seem to be going good. It feels like he's in some calmer waters or that calmer waters are, are just right here for him to enjoy. You know, Saul is dead. God tells him to go to Hebron, which was a really important legacy city, really was a village where the patriarchs were buried. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, their wives, those who were promised the promised land. And so it seems to all be coming together. There he is in Hebron being crowned as king over the tribe of Judah. And now all that's left to happen is for the rest of the kingdom to unite behind him, to rally behind him, to get on team David, and we're ready for calmer waters, right? But not so fast. As we read a few moments ago, David gets this unexpected curveball thrown at him. Abner, who was mentioned there in our scripture reading, he's the general of the late king Saul, uh, Saul's army, and uh, who is also Saul's cousin, which means that he was connected to the dynasty and doesn't want to see them give up control of the throne too easily. So what Abner does, again, Saul's, uh, who's died, Saul's uh, general of the army, he finds one of Saul's remaining biological sons who's living named Ishbosheth, which will be a really fun name to say out loud in front of a big group of people for the rest of this sermon. Y'all pray for me, Ishbosheth, all right? So Abner finds Ishbosheth from the line of Saul and quickly props him up to be king. And but what looks like a finish line right here no longer looks like that very quickly. In fact, this political stunt that Abner's pulling right here sends the nation into another just kind of spiral whirlwind of chaos for another seven and a half years that David's about to have to work through. Uh, A season of chaos, a season of civil war, a season of assassinations. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be violent. So after 15 years of waiting for this moment, here David is launched into another seven and a half years of turbulent times. What looked like a finish line is just another season of real messiness. And it's detailed in Samuel, um, by Samuel in chapters 2 through 4. All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a summary. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of what's going down in chapters 2 through 4 that's happening during the seven and a half year uh, time of chaos. All right, so buckle up. So in chapter 2, you've got this phony king Ishbosheth, who is an army general, uh, the army general uh, Abner. Uh, you've got Ishbosheth, uh, who is uh, the, the, the fake king, phony king of Israel. All right, you've got his army general Abner. And uh, you got on the other side, David's general, Joab, and they're squaring off against each other, all right? So hopefully I didn't confuse you there. You got Abner, Ishbosheth, he's serving him as king. You got Joab, he's the general of David's army representing David. And so they're squaring off against each other with their armies. And Abner suggests they, they use what's called representative warfare. And so what they decide to do is to send out 12 of their best warriors. Winner takes the kingdom. Winner takes all. And so these 24 men come out to do battle, and 12 on each side. And the Bible says in chapter 2 that they all stab each other at the same time. Most of them die, but on David's side, a few of them stay standing and they're alive. So technically, David should be the winner, right? But instead of Abner... And Ishbosheth's side surrendering, Abner takes off, makes a run for it, and tells all the army, let's make a run for it. Well, Azahel, who's Joab's brother, remember Joab is David's army general, his brother Azahel, he says, let's go after him. So he runs after Abner, all right? He chases Abner, persists, pursues Abner. Abner's like, bug off, go away. He doesn't stop, he persists. And so Abner finally turns around with his spear, and Azahel, Joab's brother, runs through the spear, and it goes out of his back, right? And he kills him, all right? 
Not a positive and encouraging Caleb Bible story right here, right? Definitely not safe for the whole family, but that's what happened. All right, so Joab hears about his brother being killed. He's obviously furious. Hang on to that for a few moments. Well, Abner goes back to King uh, Ishbosheth, and there, in that time, he begins to sleep with one of Saul's old concubines. All right, that makes Ishbosheth, yeah, I told you I have trouble with it, Ishbosheth mad. Um, because not only is Abner sleeping with his stepmom, but he really feels like this is a power grab for the throne by Abner. Well, they get into a heated argument. Abner feels disrespected by Ishbosheth. He defects to David's team. He comes to David. He makes a secret alliance with David. They're working and negotiating through that. And while they're negotiating through that, David's army general, Joab, remember the one that Abner, uh, you know, his brother, the one that Abner killed? He says, hey, Abner, I know you're negotiating everything. Why don't you come back here into my office uh, to talk through some of those details? AK back here into a secret shadowy hallway. And so he brings Abner back into this hallway and he stabs him in the gut, a lot of gut killings in this narrative, and kills him. All right, so it's an absolute mess. And then on the other side of the kingdom, you've got two of Saul's old lieutenant, uh, lieutenants who sneak into the bedroom of Ishbosheth at night, who see the writing on the wall that the kingdom's leaning towards following David, and they go in while Ishbosheth is sleeping, and they kill him. All right, so it's an absolute mess. Those two lieutenants take the head of Ishbosheth, they bring it to David. A lot of that going on in this narrative too. People walking around with dead people's heads. We've seen that a lot. And here this happens again. And so, but it is really tragic and it's really messy. And it's really bloody. And there's a lot of violence. It's a season of violence. It's a season of chaos. It's a season of turbulence, right? It's not exactly the peaceful, calm, tranquil transfer of power that David probably had in mind when he's being crowned as king of Judah in Hebron. But put yourself in David's shoes for a moment. All right, so 15 years you've been waiting patiently for this moment. You've endured faithfully through the wilderness. We've walked through all of that over the last several weeks. You've tried to do what's right. You've refused to take shortcuts to the throne. You haven't compromised. You've sought to follow God's commands, to glorify God, to worship God through a lot of different storms. You've had a neurotic king trying to kill you. You've fought battles. You've been through a lot. You've weathered a lot of storms. And here you are. You're far removed from the 15-year-old boy you were when Samuel anointed you as king. And you're a grown man ready to take the throne, ready to see God's promises fulfilled, excited about the fulfillment of that prophecy and about that promise. Finally wondering, man, thinking, the moment has arrived. My moment is here. And you get to that finish line if you're David, only to find out it's a fake finish line. And it, it's taking you into a new season with new chaos and new mess. It's an intensified version of a messy season. And this part of David's story simply reminds us that life is full of seasons like that for all of us. In fact, a spoiler alert, even when David gets to the throne in chapter 5, we'll end there this morning. You know what he finds? Well, you think, well, calmer waters, right? Peace and smooth sailing. In a downhill time to just coast and enjoy things, not at all. He finds more drama. He finds more chaos. What David finds out and what we'll find out for the rest of his story and the rest of his life that he never graduates from these seasons that involve mess and neither do you and neither do I. You say, well, well, that's very encouraging for you to share with us, pastor. Right? I'm glad I got out of bed this morning and came to church. You sound like you, you know, you're a lot of fun at parties, right? Thanks for the encouragement. 
This is where, hey, this is where I'm thankful I can say I'm not the editor, that I'm just the delivery man. Because God's Word, God's Word clearly shows us that becoming a Christian doesn't exempt us from having to walk through hard and messy seasons. It doesn't exempt us from having to go through storms. The Bible is full of examples of godly, faithful people, God's people who are experiencing hard seasons, who often looked at what they thought was a finish line only to get there and experience a new chapter of life that's also going to involve messiness. And they had to walk through it. Think about Moses. Think about Moses and the people of God, the people of Israel, people of Israel there in Egypt. They received the promise that they're going to get this land that they're going to be blessed with. And then they get that moment that they're set free, right? Finish line. They're being set free out of slavery, finish line. And they're not three days out of Egypt, three days out of slavery to where they're at a, facing an uncrossable sea with an Egyptian army behind them wanting to kill them with blood in their eyes. Think about Daniel's life. Think about Job's life. Think about the life of the prophets in the Old Testament. Think about the life of Paul. Think about the life of all the disciples. Think about the life of Jesus himself. What do they all teach us? That in this life, you will have trouble. In this life, you will experience real issues, real sorrow, real sadness, real stress, real messy seasons. Who are we to think that we got this book full of all of these forefathers of our faith who all walk through these messy seasons? Who are we to think that we're not going to walk through our own? And this morning, here's what I want you to see. This is what I want you to slow down and consider. That it is very well possible that the finish line that you're holding out for right now. That that finish line on the horizon that you think is, is the moment, is the, is the hill you need to get over to finally experience contentment in your heart. Is actually the starting line to a new season that's going to involve mess. That's going to involve a messy season. Can't we look back and see that that pattern has happened in our life up to this point of us chasing finish lines only to get to, to that finish line to realize that we're in another chapter with other kinds of mess in that finish line as well or in that season as well. You know, it, last week Adam did a good job of kind of teeing this up because he kind of picked on the college students for a little bit, right? Think, talking about his time in college when you think you're busy, but isn't that true? I remember in college a professor telling us in one of our classes, you guys are going to have, you guys have more time right now at your disposal than you'll ever have in your life. And we we're like, yeah, right. Do you not understand how busy I am? I have a job. I have school. I've got term papers I'm writing, right? I've got PlayStation that I'm playing at night with my friends, right? I got instant messenger. I'm trying to keep up with my friends through that and communicating, right? I'm busy. And so if you can look back, you can remember in your college days, like in, this, in the midst of this mess and stress, if I can just get out of this place and I have any more assignments that are due and I have any more homework and I have to take any more classes and I have these two part-time jobs that I'm trying to juggle and if I can just get into a career and begin to settle down and establish my life, my life will be way less hectic. And then it's if we can get married. Right? If, I can, if we can just get married and get into that season, get over that hill, we're going to experience just nothing but romantic bliss. It's going to be a neat, nice little romantic comedy every single day of our life. Marriage is where things are really going to get easy. We're in an engagement right now and it's really hard. And we're in the mess and stress of planning for a wedding. But once I get married, it's going to be smooth sailing over that hill if I can just get there. And all the godly married people in the room said, yeah, right. It's a fake finish line. Or once we finally have kids, that's, that's the finish line we got to get to. That's where we'll really start feeling fulfilled. That's where our family will start getting established. That's the finish line we need to get to. Let's just hold on. Let's just get there. I mean, look how fun these people seem to be having who have kids, right? 
It's got to be where you're going to sit. We're going to hit some smoother waters and we'll just grow just beautifully together as a married couple, right? I don't have time to insert the illustrations about the stress that beautiful as they are and as wonderful as they are, kids don't make your life less stressful. And then it becomes, well, if these kids will just sleep through the night. If they'll just sleep through the night, then our marriage will get healthy. We'll stop snapping at each other and yelling at each other in the middle of the night. If these kids will just get out of the diapers, if we don't have to carry on all these diapers, that'll be it. If we can just get out of the stroller stage, that'll be it. That's the finish line. Yeah, let's just hang in there, honey. If we can just get there, calmer waters are just over that hill. Or if we can just get out of sports season, if we can just get out of this crazy baseball season, we get this one in baseball and this one in football and we're zigzagging all around, then life will be good. Then we'll, our, our hearts will feel more peaceful. And then it's okay if we can just find, then it's like, if I can just get the kids out of the house. Amen. If we can just get the kids out of the house as contributing, functioning, you know, citizens of society, then we'll, we'll finally hit some smoother sailing. Then it's if we can get the kids to move out of the house the second time. That's the finish line we're looking for now. <laughs> or it's if I can finally get this promotion or if I can get this job that will give us the income that we have been longing for, that we've been aiming for. We're almost there. That's the finish line we need. Or maybe it's retirement. If I can just get to retirement. And there's good things and blessings in each of these seasons. But to think that if I can just get to retirement, if I can just get to that season of my life, that's really what I need for my heart to find contentment. It's going to feel way less hectic if I can just get over that hill. Or once I settle mom and dad's estate. Or once I get to this episode with my health that's really difficult right now, then finally I'll be able to rest. Finally I'll have contentment in my heart. But this is the reality of life. This is what this story teaches us. That messy seasons never stop coming. It is a part of life. Which means this. I can either get flustered with my circumstances. I can get flustered with my difficult situations. I can keep wishing them away and chasing better seasons and finish lines. Or I can allow God's word to adjust my expectations. Which is a better way. I can allow God's word to start adjusting my expectations and start embracing first the reality that I live in a broken world. I live in a broken world where kids get sick, where kids cry in the middle of the night, where work gets hard, where refrigerators stop working, air conditioners stop working, they got to get fixed, cars stop working, they got to get fixed, you got to get new tires for your car, money gets tight, relationships get challenging, your health fails, that's life. We can't change that. We live in a broken world and we're going to walk through messy seasons. The question is, what's your perspective going to be as you walk through those messy seasons? God's word can change our expectations, but it does more than just adjust our expectations and just cause us to go, okay, yeah, life's hard. And No, it actually helps us see something even deeper than that. And it's this, as a Christian, that it's through those messy seasons that God wants to do some of his most beautiful, glorious, sanctifying work in your life. Which means this, if you're holding your breath until you can get to that next finish line that you've created in your heart, you're going to continue missing out on the real life and the real growth and the real transformation that can happen within that messy season that you're in right now. So number one, life is full of messy seasons. And that brings us to the next truth. God transforms us in messy seasons. God transforms us and sanctifies us in messy seasons. Do you believe that this morning? Do you really believe that the messy seasons in your life are the crucible of your sanctification. If you don't believe that that's true, 
You're really going to struggle. You're going to be in a cycle of chasing fake finish lines over and over and over again. You're going to keep wishing them away. You're just going to keep complaining your way through seasons and griping your way through seasons. And you're going to miss opportunities for God to do a sanctifying work in your life in that messy season. David's story helps us learn that. Just think about how God's used the mess and the stress and the chaos of David's life over the last 15 years that we've been studying over the last several weeks in his life to test and to transform his character. David is not the man that he is right here without the messy seasons in his life and without him seeking to honor the Lord in those seasons and seeking to obey God within those seasons and to trust the Lord in those seasons. Those seasons have have helped him learn to do that. Those seasons have shaped his character. And God right here has continued. That was 15 years that we've studied. Now we're in the seven and a half years. And in the seven and a half years, this new season of chaos and mess, God is continuing to use this chaotic time to shape and transform his character as he's seeking to endure faithfully through it. He's seeking to do the right thing in the middle of some really difficult times. And God's using it to shape his character and to sanctify him. Let me point out a few examples of this. Like, we don't have time to dig into this, but in chapter 1 with an Amalekite man, and then in chapter 4 with those assassinators of Ishbosheth, in those two instances, in the middle of that chaos, David continues, we see, to ref- he's refusing to take shortcuts to the throne. He's refusing to be complicit to, in, in the murder of who he considers, based on God's word, God's anointed ones. He respected that position as king. And so with those two men, you can read the stories. It's kind of brutal, but basically the big picture is that he's committed to get to the throne the right way. And so he's executing the justice of God. He's committed to the justice of God being executed in that very chaotic time as he deals with them. Or notice how David, in a difficult time, continues to love his enemies. Uh, In chapter 1, you'll see, starting in verse 19, this eulogy that he gives when he finds out about Saul and Jonathan's death. Saul and Jonathan have died. We learn about that at the end of chapter uh, of, of 1 Samuel. And they've died in a battle that they should have never been in because of a foolish decision that Saul made. But they're dead. And David gets word of that and he laments Jonathan's death, which that makes sense if we paid attention during the message about Jonathan and David's friendship. But he's also lamenting and mourning and grieving the death of Saul. In this very chaotic time, a lot of moving parts, a lot of craziness is happening. It's a whirlwind kind of time for him. But in the middle of that, him receiving this news, you can imagine that he'd have been tempted to rejoice that the throne's been vacated. And that he'd make a quick move towards the throne, but he doesn't do that. And he doesn't rejoice in Saul's, Saul's death. He actually mourns it. And what is he doing there? He's showing mercy. We see, not just in this instant of him giving a eulogy for Saul, but throughout the first ten chapters of First Samuel or Second Samuel, um, Second Samuel, that in the middle of all the chaos and all the messiness of the seasons, we're going to see him walk through these first ten chapters. We're going to see something dominate his rise to power. And you know what that is? It's mercy. He proves himself to be a merciful king. This is going to be a different kind of kingdom than Saul ruled over. This is going to be a king anchored in the mercy of God. And here's why. Because there's a king rising to power who is demonstrating over and over and over again a merciful heart. Even when it was hard. You know, that's actually the characteristic, the characteristic, scholars will tell you, that makes him a man after God's own heart. 
That's why he's called a man after God's own heart. And we hear that a lot, right? David was a man after God's own heart. But have you ever thought about what that means? Like, just think about what it means when we use it, all right? So I walked into my living room not long ago, and I walk into my living room, and there my boys are on the couch eating bacon and watching baseball, all right? Bacon that the oldest one cooked on his own, right? And one of them turned around and said, bacon. I love bacon. And you know what I said? Bacon baseball. These are some boys after my own heart right here. Not long ago, uh, Riker Isaacs, a little four or five-year-old who's back in our kids' ministry, he was outside here on the sidewalk, and he had a Waffle House t-shirt on. And I walked by and said, Riker, you're a man after my own heart right there. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. They love what I love. Right? I love Waffle House. I love bacon. I love baseball. And when it's that simple. When God says David's a man after my own heart, he's saying, when I look into David's heart, I find his heart consumed with a passion and a love for what I have a passion and a love for. Namely, what I'm talking about is mercy. The love for mercy on God's heart is something David never stopped seeking to have on his heart, even when it was hard. Even when he had a maniac king trying to kill him named Saul, David chose mercy, and he keeps choosing mercy in the middle of high-pressured times. He chooses over and over again to leave vengeance in the hands of God and chooses to shell out mercy. And it just as he does it in those high-pressure moments, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense, when he extends the mercy that he knows God has extended to him, it's developing him more and more into a merciful man that looks more like God, that has more the character of God. To where he's given the eulogy for the guy who's trying to kill him. And he doesn't say, read it. He doesn't say one bad thing about Saul. He finds good things to say about him. He sings his praises. In chapter 2, or chapter 3, we'll start there in 31 through 34, David mourns the death of Abner, another enemy, who is trying to kick him off the path towards the throne. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, David doesn't rush rush in and presume his way to the throne. He listens and obeys God, and he displays patience in the middle of chaos. Now, listen, David's not a perfect man. We're going to get to that in a few weeks. David and Bathsheba. We're going to get to that story. He is not a perfect man. He's a king who most clearly than anybody else in all of Scripture points to the perfect king. But I want you to see in this text that, Dave, that God uses messy, messy seasons in the life of David to shape him and to transform his character as he endured faithfully through those chaotic times and kept serving God even though it was hard even when it felt messy. And my prayer for our hearts today is that we will believe more that God desires to use those messy seasons. Are you in a messy season right now? All of us probably can find some mess in the season that we're in right now. Do you believe that God has you in that mess as a gift of His grace in your life to sanctify you and to grow you into more the likeness of Jesus Christ? It is so tempting to tell ourselves the lie that once I get past this season in life, then I'll be the kind of person that God wants me to be. Messy seasons, right? We've all been there. But isn't that true? It's so tempting, I will say that again, to tell ourselves this lie that once I get past this messy season, then I'll finally be the person that God 
wants me to be. Once I get past this hard season, then I'll let God have all of my heart. Once I get past this messy season and my kids get a little older and things feel a little less hectic and I don't feel exhausted all the time, then I'll start pursuing my wife more faithfully and cultivating our relationship. Once things settle down and our kids' sports seasons start to calm down, I'll get more plugged into church. Once I start making more money, then I'll start helping fund the mission of the local church I'm involved in. Once my life isn't so busy, I'll visit my folks more. Once I secure this job that isn't so stressful, then I'll quit this habit that I know isn't good for me. In fact, I know it can lead to some really major destruction in my life. But as soon as I get through this stressful time, then I'll stop doing that. When my schedule gets less hectic, I'll start being more disciplined with my quiet time again. I'll start praying Again, like I used to and being in the word together. When this work project gets over, then I'll start leading my family more faithfully and praying with them more often and leading family worship on a regular basis. Once, once all this relationship, like messiness calms down and relationship conflict calms down and things cool down between me and some people that I got some things between right now, once all that cools down, then I'll think about extending some forgiveness and some mercy. David didn't do that. He shows that he's a man after God's own heart by loving difficult people, by doing what's right, by extending the grace and mercy that God has extended to him even when he was God's enemy, by extending that same grace, mercy, and love to his enemies. Even when it was really hard. Even in really messy seasons. Even in the middle of chaotic, tense moments of his life. His life shows us that it's faithfulness to God in enduring through messy seasons with a commitment to being faithful and doing what's right, that, that is where God does some of His most amazing sanctifying work in our life. And so I, I just want to ask you, where in your life, what is it in your life that God's been calling you into that you've been putting off saying that when I'm done with this messy season, then I'll step out in faith and do what's right? God desires you to step out in faith and to do what's right right now in the middle of the messy season. That's why it's there. It's testing your character. It's there to shape you and transform you and to sanctify you more into the image of Jesus Christ. It's not about waiting until you get out of that season because you're going to be into another season and it's going to be filled with other mess that the enemy is going to use in your life for you to take as an excuse to not do what's right right now. So what we learn from David is it's right now in the messiness of this situation that I'm seeking to double down on being faithful and doing what's right and stepping out in faith, knowing that it's in this difficult season as I'm seeking to honor God and glorify Him in the midst of this, that He's shaping me, that He's sanctifying me, that He's forging me and conforming more to, more to the image of His Son. Now what's ultimately, as we close, what's ultimately going to fuel us to endure faithfully like that. What's ultimately going to fuel us to endure faithfully like that? Here's the last point. Here's the last point. God's purposes triumph through messy seasons. God's purposes triumph through messy seasons. So imagine you're David. Well, again, what's going to fuel us to endure faithfully through messy seasons? It's remembering that. Because think about David. You're living through a seven and a half year, another period of messiness. You've already waited 15 years for the throne. He's had some really hard moments. 
We see a lot of that in the Psalms. If you read the Psalms, he's, he's seeking to live faithfully. He's doing what's right in the moment. Not always perfectly, but progressively. But we know in his heart, man, he feels like a mess at times. And he's very honest about that in the Psalms. He's saying things like, God, have you forsaken me? Have you forgotten me? But it turns out after all of this time, after all of these years, he finds out that God's plan and his purpose has never been compromised. That it has not failed. After 22 and a half years, David is finally sitting down on the throne as king. And we see that in 2 Samuel chapter 5, in verse 3. And they anointed David king over Israel. And what we finally see right here, what he can finally see, is that in the midst, think about it, in the midst of all that he walked through. Imagine if you're David, as he's looking back. In the midst of all that he walked through, he's realizing God's plan was never compromised. He had to be thinking there was sometimes I didn't I did not think I was going to survive this. I wanted to quit. I thought God had forgotten me. And here he is being crowned as king of Israel, realizing God's plan had never been compromised. It came to pass just like he said it would. It didn't just come to pass. It came to pass through the mess. It was through the political chaos. It was through the civil war. It was through all the waiting and wandering that God's plan was unfolding. And David gets to the throne and he's able to look back and rejoice and say, God, you were there. You were sustaining me. You were preparing me. You were empowering me. You were shaping me. You were guiding me into the destiny that you had for me every step of the way. God's plan prevails through messy seasons. We see that in David's story. And more importantly and significantly, we see that in the story that David's story points to. Thousand years later, God's ultimate anointed Savior King would come into the world. Talk about a messy season. He's born to an unwed teenage mother from a no-name town. Nazareth starts his public ministry. And you'd think, after kind of living in obscurity, here the king of the universe in flesh begins his public ministry. Things got to start going smooth here, right? All the nations have to be gathered around him. No, it's messy. There's some amazing moments in Jesus' ministry, but a lot of mess. He spends a chunk of his time in those three years with broken, difficult, outcast people, healing, teaching. He deals with the disciples who could also be knuckleheads at times. The other half of his ministry time was dealing with religious hypocrites. And so he was combating what they were saying and how they were misrepresenting God. And he wreaks all kinds of havoc to the place where these religious people they put a bounty on his head and he's betrayed by a close friend and he's subjected to a sham trial and he's hit with all these false accusations and charges and then in what looks like from a human perspective in that moment the messiest moment in all of human history the only innocent one to ever live is brutally executed on a roman cross in that moment if you're a disciple You're thinking, what a mess. And we know they were thinking that because they didn't go camp out by the tomb waiting for something awesome to happen. They locked themselves in a room thinking, what a mess. We've wasted our life. And yet through that messy season, God's sovereign plan prevails. 
Because Jesus didn't stay dead. Because up from the grave He arose as a testimony that God accepted His sacrifice for our sin on the cross. Meaning as we look back on Scripture, we could have confidence that God never has, never did then lose control. His plan prevailed through it all. And He's actually in Jesus' life and through His ministry and even on the cross was using the chaos and the mess on that cross to bring redemption and forgiveness to all people in the world who would receive it. And I just want to close as we think about, let's look back and think about the perfect track record of faithfulness that God has. His plans have always, will always, have always prevailed, even through the mess. And I just want to close by speaking to some of you who are in the middle of a messy season this morning. In the way David expressed his heart in the middle of that messy season, puts words to maybe the way you feel. God, have you forgotten me? God, have you forsaken me? Now, why am I going through this? Why do I feel like I'm getting hit with combo after combo after combo of trial and hardship and messy seasons? God, I don't even know how I'm going to make it through this, I just want to simply encourage you to look to the Bible. To look to the story of David. Look back and see God's purposes prevailing through His messy seasons. And remember this, that that same God is the same sovereign, promise-keeping God that's authoring your story. Do you know that this morning? And don't just look to David, look to Jesus. Look back and see how God is keeping His promises through what looked like an extremely messy situation in the life of His Son. But God was always in control and He took Jesus right through that cross and right through the grave and right into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father where He's seated right now as our victorious, crucified, risen King and one day He's going to come back again. And you know what? We as Christians, that Greek word, you know what it means? It literally means little Christ's. Little anointed ones. Which means you look at what he did for Jesus. Through the cross, through the grave. Exalted him. He's going to do the same thing for you. He will carry you through it all. He will see you through the end. To the end of the day. And he's going to use every messy, hard season between here and there. To shape you and to mold you. And to transform you more in the likeness of his son. That's his promise for you that he will not break. You know, Romans 8.28, we've come back to that verse a few times in this series. That's not just a cliche, cliche Christian saying that looks good on like cool Bible verse wall art. Or that we slap on a coffee mug. That is a promise that is made by a real promise-keeping covenant God made to you and made to me, made to anyone in Christ, that in all things God's working together for the good of those who love Him. So let me encourage you this morning. In, in this messy season, don't fix your eyes on another fake finish line. Instead, fix your eyes on the Lord. Look to Jesus for rest. Hey, one day, praise the Lord, here's another promise that can pull us through some hard times. One day, He is going to either through death or through His second coming, He's going to pull us into His perfect, eternal presence where we are going to receive and experience through and through eternal rest that we long for. That's ahead for us. That's a future reality for us in a place called heaven. But in this life, between here and there, He's our rest. 
He's our power. He's our life. He's our peace. He's the calm that we long for. It isn't found out there across some finish line that you've shaped and crafted in your heart. It's right here. It's in a relationship with Jesus. Everything you long for, everything you need is given to you in the person, in the work of Jesus Christ and in the indwelling presence of His Spirit. So don't fix your eyes on a fake finish line. Don't hold your breath until you get through this season. Instead, in the season, fix your eyes on Christ. And say, man, this season is hard right now, but this is the day the Lord has made it. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. And I'm going to endure faithfully. And I'm going to walk with Jesus and I'm going to seek to obey him and I'm going to seek to worship him and I'm going to seek to submit to him even though I don't understand it all and even though I can't connect all the dots and I don't know what's going on and I don't know where this is going but I know the one who does. And I know he's made me promises that are good for me. And so I'm going to stand on those. Because messy seasons are a part of life and God is transforming us in those messy seasons. And God's purposes will triumph through it all. Amen?